Hey guys, uh, happy Christmas Eve, happy holidays. My name's Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. Hang on a second here. Let me get my lights got home. Actually, I didn't make a quick story, last minute store run. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. So uh, hopefully, you'll spend some time on Christmas Eve with me. Um, <sighs> wow, this is my third. I think it's my, I think it's my second Christmas Eve show here. I remember doing one in this room last year. I don't remember if I did one when I was in the other office, you know, my, my other studio. But uh, let, let me introduce myself, and we'll take it from there, because uh, I'll tell you what I'm, what's going to happen today, what I'm going to do. You know, and hopefully you're having a good day. You're cooking and prepping and wrapping last-minute gifts and all that good stuff, or maybe even telling stories, sitting around the fire. If you're over in Europe, you know, some places it's already Christmas Day, so I'm going to wish you happy Christmas Eve today. And for those of you in Australia and places like that, Merry Christmas. I hope, you had a great, hope you're having a great Christmas day. Wow. See, we're still waiting for Santa here. We're still waiting for Santa to arrive. Santa left last night at 2 a.m. And uh, I've been kind of watching him travel. And uh, I haven't checked him since I've been here. In fact, I just did something to my phone. Hang on one second. Because today is going to be an interesting day. My Okay. First, let me introduce myself and then we'll uh, get into this. My name is Charlotte. I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal need, we, we can get to you. Uh, it might take us some time, but uh, we can and will get to you. That being said, um, to begin today, we're going to tell some stories. We're going we're to read some poetry. Um, I, I'm a cat lover. A lot of people are cat lovers. So we're going to read some cat poetry. We're also going to talk about some dis, uh, different traditions you know a lot of this poetry revolves around christian and the you know christian traditions including catholic i grew up catholic admittedly but i also want to talk about hanukkah and i want to talk about kwanzaa all right uh kwanzaa is not necessarily a religious thing but it does happen on december it starts on december 26th so that is a holiday that not many people talk about all right, but we're going to talk about that today, but that'll be towards the end of the show. And uh, it's interesting because I remember when I was in college covering the newspaper, you know, um, as an editor for the newspaper in, in college, I remember going to a Kwanzaa celebration and covering that. And it was very interesting to me to see, you know, how that worked and, and what it was about. Also, when I was working for the Woodland Daily Democrat as an editor, assistant editor, I got the opportunity to go to a Hanukkah celebration. And I thought that was really, really, really cool to do. Really, really cool. I, I learned a lot. So, you know, that's why we're going to be talking about that stuff. You know, this is the time of year everybody has these celebrations. And so that's that, that's what I want to talk about. And again, you know, a lot of these, a few of these poems are based in, in, in Christian beliefs. And so, you know, I'm going to give everybody as much a fair shake as I can. Now, I'm, you know, some of this information came off the World Wide Web, so... If you have an issue with it, I'll I'll quote the places I got it from. Yell at them, not me. Okay? Anyway, I was never a cat lover until... I mean, I was. I, I had a cat years ago, but never really into cats, right? right? When I had my first cat all those years ago, I trained it like a dog to the point where it would walk on a leash for me and do different things. You know, but I was never really... in you know, that deep into cats until I found these feral kittens. 
and then I started raising feral kittens, and then I got into cats and watching their personalities. I still have four of the feral kittens, two males and two females. And so I've fallen in love with cats. I love cats. I think cats are hilarious because they're so independent. Like, that's why I have an Australian Kelpie, because she's independent. You know, I like independent dogs. Just, you know, look at, like I said, look at my dogs. Australian Kelpie, I've got a, I've got a rat terrier. Doesn't get more independent than that, right? Between them and the cats, it's an exciting house, to say the least. And um, so three of my uh, poems today are about cats. One, uh, one is the poem that when I was, my father was a big band enthusiast and he used to listen to, I think it was KGMS when they used to do big, I could be wrong with that, uh, big band music. And they would do a history show, but they would also do a Christmas special. And I remember hearing this poem. I must have been all of about probably eight or nine years old. And this poem really, really impressed me to the point that as an adult, it's hard to find now online. It's hard to find this poem online. So as an adult, I um, had to find this poem. And to this day, I have a copy of it. And the person that wrote the poem, <coughs> they don't even know who wrote the poem anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, I always thought it was a beautiful poem about the cat. So we're going we're gonna to do that poem. And there's another poem about tabby cats that I recently found. And so we're going to read that one as well. I'm going to read that one as well. Because that's an interesting thing about the tabby cats. So as we sit here, you know, like I say normally in my little, my, my little start to the show, as, as we sit here together tonight, this evening, put your feet up. Go grab some hot cocoa. Get your snacks. Get your hors d'oeuvres. Whatever it is you'd like to eat. Dim the lights a little bit. Sit down by the fire. And we're going to tell some stories. Okay? We're going to talk about some things. So uh, let me get to the first one. I'm going to be reading these off just to let you know off screen. So you're going to see me not look at the screen directly. So let me find it. Let's see. So here's the first one. This is uh, one. It's titled the Legend, the Legend of the Christmas Cat. But again, there's no author to it. Nobody knows who the author is. It's author unknown. So here we go. At midnight stroke on the first Christmas, half the world awoke. Then out of nest and lair came thronging to Bethlehem, the, wor the wordless folk. Hurried the beasts of the forest, the birds of the air, to pay the Lord their homage and his due. And Cat came too, mincing on delicate feet to see the child. But being shy and wild, approached no nearer than the hearth, lay down and distant there. While the rest knelt in praise, the cat, by too much glory overcome, could not withdraw her gaze from the nativity, could only stare through, through silted eyes, as things of fur and feather, the deer beside the lion, the pheasant, the hare safe in the fox's paws, bent down together. Although their anthems lifted all around, she, in her throat, made only a trembling sound, and could not bow her head, yet, as the morning dawned, and one by one, the other creatures fled, each to his own habitat. The eagle to his crag, and to his pond the otter, only cat remained. Beside the dying fire, unable to quit the place that was both crib and stable. Then Mary spoke aloud, Dear cat, she said, Dear stiff-necked, proud and obstinate beast, I bless you. From this hour, leave wilderness behind, 
because you stayed. Though none shall have the power to call you servant, yet the hearth shall bind you forever to itself, both fond and free. Wherever man is, you shall also be, and many a family will smile to hear you singing. Where you settle, household hosannas, like a pulsing kettle. Some winter night, observe Cat now. Her eyes will suddenly gleam, yellow against the light. Her body shudder in a jungle dream. Her claws unsheath their sharpness. As she remembers old times, old barbarous customs, old Decembers, before she called the tribes of man her friends. Then the dream ends. And reassured, she curls herself along the floor and hums her warm domestic song. Author unknown. That's the poem that impressed me as a kid. So now every time I look at my cats and their eyes glow, that's what I think of. I think of that. I automatically think of this poem. Now there's another poem that I found later on that I didn't, you know, that that I didn't even think about. I mean, the second you start Googling, all this stuff comes up. And this one is about the tabby cat. And it's a similar poem, but it's how the, 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 the tabby cat was rewarded. And, I, and I'm going to read it right now. So let me move this over a little bit. Okay. As the first beams of daylight stream through the doorway... The young mother, the young mother leaned toward the cat, sleeping in the manger with her son. Thank you, she whispered. The cat blinked its large gold eyes and purred contentedly. I would like to show you my, appreci my appreciation, though I have nothing to give you. I will ask God for a blessing. As she traced her in initial on the cat's forehead, and pr she prayed, May the Lord bless you, most loving and sensitive of animals. From this day on, you and your children will wear the sign, and all who see it will reward you with loving kindness. The cat looked up at Mary and gave a joyful meow. This is why today old tabby cats have the letter M on their foreheads. When you see a cat with a tabby pattern, whether it's gray, silver, orange, huff, or brown, look closely at its forehead and you will see the M and know that it is a descendant of the cat that comforted the newborn Christ on that Christmas day and night. So those are a couple of really, really cool cat legends to think about. And I've got both. I've got regular cat, I've got tabby cats. So now when I look at my tabby cats, I, I, I look at them different. And I apologize, I'm not used to reading poetry. So you get what you get. I am a lover of Greek poetry. So if you read Greek, Greek poetry, there's no rhyming or anything and no rhythm to it. So that's why you can see me kind of herky-jerky with this stuff. But uh, those are my two favorite um, manger cat poems. All right. And uh, I, I don't know who the author of that was. I apologize. I don't want to get nailed for copyright or anything like that. But uh, it was a terrific poem. I should have uh, done more research on the author. My next one, I think we already read. I have this book that I've been reading by Sylvia Schultz, and it started out with different uh, Christmas traditions, um, Icelandic or otherwise. And uh, I do believe we did the old cat, but I'm going to do it again. And uh, 
we could talk about the Yule Cat a little bit too before we get into it. The Yule Cat is completely different from from you know these other two versions of the cat. In fact, it's funny because I was watching um, the Christmas Chronicles yesterday, and the first part takes place mostly in the United States. The second part takes place, of course, at the North Pole. But uh, in some of the scenes, Kurt Russell is actually hunting the old cat. And that's it's very interesting. And as it turns out, this evil Yule cat is friends with, with the um, with, with the main bad guy, who's this elf that got that got sentenced away from from the North Pole. And this is this elf, the, the, this this former elf's friend, where you see this elf standing there with this wicked smile, and the Yule cat comes over and licks him. But uh, let's talk about the Yule cat a little bit, and um, let me pull it up. Yes. Okay, and this comes from Oh, my stuff disappeared. I even had the website for you guys and it just totally disappeared on here. Well, if you're gonna be that way. Okay, this is credited off a website, so if somebody comes back on me, you know. Anyway. Let's talk about the Yule Cat a little bit. I found reading, you know, like Icelandic legends and stuff, especially this book. I'm going to quote Sylvia Schultz is what I'm going to do since we read that book. You know, reading um, the book that she's provided, a lot of those legends are spooky. <laughs> They're scary. And I think it was just bedtime stories and stuff to keep to keep kids in line, just like, you know, when we talk about the Krampus. It's things that, that keep children in line, just like we have the boogeyman here. You know, there's different things. Santa bringing them up a coal things like that. So I think that's what these legends are for, is to keep kids in line. So I think the Yule Cat was part of that, but I think they used it not only to keep children in line, it, it, it was used to keep adults in line as well. Um, what the Yule Cat is, technically, it's a, it's a huge cat with glowing eyes. Got sharp whiskers. And as far as Icelanders, this, this, this is like one of their main things that scares them, that they believe in. Um, it lives in the mountains. It comes down from the mountains during Christmas time and it sneaks around the dark to look for, um, you know, on winter nights and, and then hunts prey. I mean, that's, that's what it's doing. As far as what it's hunting for, I mean, is it here to punish people? But the Yule Cat, you know, there's legends of a Yule Cat of people who don't receive certain Christmas gifts, like Christmas, like new clothes and things like that, you know. But it seems like you know, according to what I've to what you know what I've read with from from you know the author and this information I got online today, you know, it, it it goes after people who are very poor. So I mean, I don't know. It's just I it's just I think it's just a way to keep people in line. But it's believed that the old cat legend. Oh yeah, here it is here was used as motivation to farm, for farm workers to finish processing the autumn wool before Christmas. Because after they finished the task of doing it, they'd receive clothes from the farm owners and stuff like that. So if they didn't finish their work, in other words, yep, sorry. It's kind of like, you know, getting paid. You know, you don't finish your work, you're not going to get paid. So that's essentially what they were doing. Only in this case, they, 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 they were supposedly using clothes to keep people motivated. I know some fashionistas, <laughs> but that would be, you know, 
that that would work with. But the kids, I mean, their stories, you know, kids and less fortunate families. The Yule Cat, and according to what I've read, the Yule Cat doesn't care. It's just hungry. So you've got mothers probably who are poor and they're, and they're knitting stuff for their kids. Right? Before Christmas night. That way no one runs into the uh, Yule Cat. Um, let's see when the kids nowadays would be happy with clothes. Yeah, so what this article says is that it's, it's ironic to think that kids nowadays can be unhappy with clothes on, as Christmas gifts. You know, um, I'm just trying to read off here. You know, the, where they don't like gifts from, from Grandma. We even think about the Christmas story. Remember the aunt that was giving uh, Ralphie the uh, bunny suit? <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. It's all boring compared to toys. But with Iceland, kids, you know, the legend says that people would die for those socks. So, you know, would die for socks and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool. Anyway, so um, there's another one where the Yule Cat eats. Let's see, I'm just trying to, because it, it, it enlarged on me. Where it, 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 it comes in and steals all the Christmas food. So you make all your food ahead of time. You might have it out, you know, maybe maybe take a nap, come back, there's no Christmas food. No new clothes, no food. Wow. That that would really that, that would really bite. So here's the here's the poem. If the poem was written in the in the late eighteen hundreds, and here's how it goes. You all know the old cat. And that cat was huge indeed. People didn't know where he came from or where he went. He opened his glaring eyes wide the two of them glowing bright. It took a really brave man to look straight into them, his whiskers sharp as bristles, his back arched up high, and his claws of his hairy paws were a terrible sight. He gave a wave of his strong tail. He jumped and he clawed and he hissed, sometimes up in the valley, sometimes down by the shore. He roamed at large, hungry and evil. And the freezing yule snow. In every home, people shuddered at his name. If one heard a pitiful meow, something evil would happen soon. Everybody knew he hunted men, but didn't care for mice. He picked on the very poor that 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 no new garments got. For, uh, no new, okay, I'm sorry. He picked on the very he picked on the very poor that no new garments got for Yule, who toiled and lived in dire need. From them, he took in one full swoop, their whole Yule dinner, always eating it himself, if he possibly could. Hence, it was that the women, at their spinning wheel, sat spinning a colorful thread for a frock of a little sock, because you mustn't let the cat get hold of the little children. They had to get something new to wear. From the grown-ups each year, and when the lights came on, on Yule Eve, and the cat peered in. The little children stood rosy and proud, all dressed up in their new clothes. Some had gotten an apron, and some had gotten shoes, or something that was needed. That was all it took. For all who got something new to wear stayed out of that pussycat's grasp. He then gave, them all, gave an awful hiss, but went on his way. 
Whether he still exists, I don't know. But his visit would be in vain. If next time everybody got something new to wear. Now you might be thinking of helping. Where help is needed most. Perhaps you'll find some children that have nothing at all. Perhaps searching for those that live in a lightless world will give you a happy day and a merry, merry Yule. Wow. Let me get back on so I can see you guys. There we go. That's just a big wow. I'm cheered up now. But I mean, that's the legend. And I remember when we were first, when I was first reading this book, and she had all these, all these different legends in there. Sylvia Schultz. It, it was dark. It, it was really. <laughs> you get done reading, you were like, okay, I'm cheered up for the holiday now. But yeah, that was the old, the, the the legend of the Icelandic Yule cat, as opposed to the other two legends. So again, if I've offended, you know, now that I'm doing this show, if I did not mention any names as to where stuff came from, I apologize. But, uh, you know, everybody's fully credited. I'm not saying it's my stuff because it's not my stuff. Except for the first one that I had to search. How's everybody enjoying the Christmas Eve? I am. I'm having fun. I love, I love spending time with you guys. Last night, Marcy and I were out doing a light tour. We ended up an hour late, but we did a light tour for an hour, almost an hour and a half. And uh, it was pretty fun, really fun. You know, the best thing about Christmas is that everybody's so nice. You know, it's just, I've always heard stories about this. You know, why, and I've always wondered this. People are so nice during Christmas, and I wish that it would continue through the whole year because. It's just, it's just really cool, really cool. Now I'm going to read something that everybody reads every Christmas Eve, actually. Nope, you know what? I'm going to hold it till the end. Never mind. Okay, we're going to move on. Change my mind. That's going to get held to the end. I think you guys know what it is. So let me, uh, okay, that's where we're at now, since I go through all this stuff. Ah, here we go. Back in the late 1800s. Let me get this up. I have to enlarge because I'm blind. So give me a second here. Okay. Enlarge and pull over. I'm going to read this off a PDF. I'm a newspaper editor. Well, I used to be anyway. I, and I, um, I worked for several, several newspapers on the editorial chair. And I remember lots of letters used to come in from kids. And uh, the one particular newspaper we had, children would send in their Christmas wishes. And it was really, really neat to watch. And uh, so I got to thinking about, like, tonight, what I wanted to do. And I decided to, because I am a, I am technically a newspaper editor. Let me move this over. I'm trying to make room here so I can read this. Okay. The Yes, Virginia letter. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes on. And, and, and uh, you know, even the hall, you watch these Hallmark movies. Let, let me get this up here. Sorry, because I can't see you. I can't see myself. Okay. Even with these Hallmark movies. And, like, I, I just watched North Pole yesterday. Or the day before I watched North Pole. And, you know, how the kid at 11 years old, nobody else believed there was a Santa Claus and all this is going on. And it's hard for kids these days. It's really hard because there's so much commercialism built into Christmas. And it's and for a kid growing up, my, my family was very good about the Santa Claus thing where... I didn't know there wasn't a Santa Claus until I was like 13, 13, 14. 
I, I honestly, honestly, my family was really good about about keeping that a secret, and they play up to it. And I think it's important for a kid. I think it's important for a kid to be a kid, and have that. I don't have children. I have dogs, but I think I think it's very important for children to have that magic, that little bit of magic, in their lives. And you know, for them to keep being children as long as possible is great. So this this letter. Um, I've had occasion to read it several times, you know, as, as a newspaper editor. In fact, it's run in a couple of newspapers that I've worked for. But it's the Yes, Virginia letter, and it was it was written in the uh, late 1800s. Young Virginia was having issues with her friends telling her there was no Santa Claus. And she went to her father to ask him if there was a Santa Claus. And his response was, if you see it in the sun, it's so. The Sun was the current newspaper at that time. So this is what she writes to the editor of The Sun. Dear Editor, I'm eight years old. Some of my little friends say there's no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it's so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Now, there was a movie done about this. And, I mean, this this has been all over. This is one of the most. Virginia O'Hanlon, that's who wrote the letter. And uh, there's been a lot said about this, but it's, 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 it's a wonderful thing. And here's what the editor of the newspaper says. Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe they see. They do not believe except they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, Virginia. Whether they be men's or children's are little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant, and his intellect is compared with the boundless world about him, as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole truth and knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give to your life its highly beauty, its, its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would be the world if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance, to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment, except in sense and sight. The eternal light with which childhood fills the world would be extinguished. Not believe in Santa Claus? You might as well not believe in fairies. You might you might get your papa to hire men to watch all the chimneys on Christmas Eve to catch Santa Claus. But even if you do, but even if you did not see Santa, sorry, did not see Santa Claus coming down, what would that prove? Nobody sees Santa Claus. But that is no sign that there is no Santa Claus. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor men can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not. But that's not but but that's no proof that they are not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders that are unseen and unseeable in the world. You tear apart the baby's rattle and see what makes the noise inside. But there is a veil covering the unseen world which not the strongest man, nor even the united strength of, of all the strongest men that ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, poetry, love, 
romance and push aside that curtain and view the picture, the, 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 the supernal beauty and glory beyond. Is it all real? Ah, Virginia. In all this world, there is nothing else real and abiding. No Santa Claus? Thank God. He lives in, he, he lives and lives forever. A thousand years from now, Virginia, nay, ten times, ten thousand years from now, he'll continue to make glad the heart of childhood. Francis B. Church, editor of the New York Sun, 1897. What a great letter. What a great letter from a great man, a great editor, newspaper editor. Heart goes out to him. And as a newspaper editor, my heart goes out to him. But Santa doesn't have to exist. It's something we know. The movie The Santa Claus, the first movie of The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. When he first goes to the North Pole and he thinks it's a joke when he gets there. He doesn't get it, but, the, but his son gets it because his son knows. His son knows in his heart. It's the belief. It's, it's all about the belief. If you believe in ghosts, there you have belief there. Do, we, do you see a ghost every day to know what's there? No. Do you see Santa Claus? Yeah, at the mall. But you don't have to physically have him to know that he exists, just like any religion. Whatever you believe religiously, that's your that 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 is your you the per, the, the person or the, the 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 being you look to for comfort or, or whatever. The being that person doesn't have to be standing in front of you for you to believe. You know it's there. You know you can feel it in your heart, and that's what that poem is about. That's what that thing is about. You can feel that in your heart. And that goes for all religions. You know, we we tend to block religion into, okay, you're a Catholic, you're a Christian, you're this, you're that. It shouldn't be that way. All religions have their state beliefs, have their certain beliefs. Some celebrate Christmas, some don't. Some celebrate Hanukkah, right? Some people celebrate Christmas, some people celebrate Hanukkah. Some celebrate Kwanzaa, even. Right? We're going to talk about Kwanzaa tonight. But the important thing is what's here and what you believe. It doesn't matter. Just like I usually don't go political, but tonight I'm going to talk about this. During the COVID lockdowns, what I saw online upset me because there were people that were complaining that they couldn't worship because they couldn't go to a building to worship. Again, your worship is right here, right in your heart. You don't need a building to worship in. Go out to the woods. Talk to talk to whoever you you feel is, is, is your deity. That's where your worship is. That's who created everything. Or however you believe, right? There's always one creator. That's the, that's where it comes from. Go out to the woods, go sit by the ocean and think about, you know, think about how many thousands of years that ocean has been washing up on those shores. My big thing is mountains. When I go up to the mountains, when I go to Mount Rainier or Mount Shasta and I look at that mountain 
And I think, look at all the history that mountain has seen, even though it's an inanimate mountain, right? Whoever created the mountain, you know, that, that, that mountain has seen so much. That's how I look at it. I don't need to go into a building to worship. I can, I can worship at home. I can worship outside. Because I'm worshiping everything as a whole. So it's kind of food to live by, you know. That's because, that's why, you know, to mock somebody else's religious beliefs is, 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 is bad. And Christmas. I mean, Christmas, of course, is about... Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to be unpopular with this. Christmas is not only about the birth that happened. It's also about... Let's just be honest. It's also about the, the mysteries of Santa. It's about kids enjoying themselves. Why do kids get gifts? Because the, because, because the baby Jesus got gifts. He was brought gifts by the wise men. He was, he was brought gifts by the... By, by the shepherds. That's why he gets gifts. And that's how, even though it's it's been twisted into a thing with Santa Claus and all this, that's why the gifts are given out are given out. It's all linked together. But that's my beliefs, right? Hi Sharon, hi Marisa. But that's my beliefs. Okay, so I'm not trying I'm not trying to push it on you guys. That is those are my beliefs. That, that's how I've always believed. And that's what it's about. And that's why today I decided to add on to the show today. We're going to talk about Hanukkah. We're going to talk about Kwanzaa. Because those are two, two more major holidays coming up. Kwanzaa starts December 26th, the day after Christmas. So we're going to talk about that. But now we're going to shift into Hanukkah. I'm going to tell you the story of Hanukkah. And I'm going to tell you what happens during Hanukkah. Like I said, I had the opportunity as a newspaper reporter to cover Hanukkah. And it was very unique. I, I, I love looking at other religions and seeing how they're done. And it was very, very impressive and unique to me to cover Hanukkah. All right. I am not here to offend anybody religious-wise. I am here just to, to just to show you guys the different stuff during this time of year. Okay. So don't take this the wrong way. And uh, here we go. Let me pull it up. And we'll pull up. And I, I, I grabbed this off a website, of course. Uh, where we at? Nope, not that one. <laughs> Got so much of this stuff up. Okay, nope, we did that one. See, I've got all this stuff here. Is that it? Yeah, okay. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Hanukkah a little bit. I have a friend, Michael, who is, I have a couple of Jewish friends, my friend Jason and Michael. And Michael kind of told me a uh, nice story about Hanukkah, so I went ahead did some more research, looked some stuff up. And this is coming from www.shabad.org, C-H-A-B-A-D.org, that I got this from. So Hanukkah is a Jewish eight-day wintertime festival of lights, celebrated with a night with, with a night, nightly... I wish this was smaller. Hang on, let me do, reduce it a little bit. Celebrated with a nightly menorah lighting. I'm going to do a quick reduction real quick so I can read this stuff. Just a little bit. Okay. So I'm going to start over here. Hanukkah is the Jewish eight-day wintertime festival of lights. Celebrated with a nightly menorah lighting. Special prayers and fried foods. The Hebrew word Hanukkah means dedication. And is thus named because it celebrates the rededication of the Holy Temple. As you'll read below, which we're going to get to. Also spelled with an H instead of a CH. There's variations of the spelling. 
the Hebrew word is actually pronounced with a guttural I can't do it. Sound. All right, so, all right. Hanukkah begins on the eve of Kislev 25 and continues for eight days. On the civil calendar, it generally coincides with the month of December. Hanukkah 2022, this year, ran from December 18th, and it's going to the 26th. In the 2nd century BCF, the Holy Land was ruled by the Syrian Greeks, who tried to force the people of Israel to accept Greek culture and beliefs instead of mitzvah observances and belief in God. Against all odds, a small band of faithful but poorly armed Jews, led by Judah the Maccabee, defeated one of the mightiest armies on earth, drove the Greeks from the land, reclaimed the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, and rededicated it to the service of God. When they sought to light the temple's menorah, which is the seven, which is that seven-branch candelabrum, they found only a single cruise of oil, olive oil, that had escaped contamination by the Greeks. Miraculously, they lit the menorah, and the one-day supply of oil lasted for eight days until new oil could be prepared under conditions of ritual purity. To commemorate and publicize these miracles, the sages instituted the festival of Hanukkah. At the heart of the festival is a nightly menorah lighting. The menorah holds nine flames, one of which is the shamash, which is used to kindle the other eight lights. On the first night, light on the first night they light just one flame. On the second night, an additional flame is lit. By the eighth night of Hanukkah, all eight lights are kindled. On Friday afternoon, care must be taken to light the menorah before Shabbat candles are lit, and the following evening they are to be kindled only after Shabbat is ended. Special blessings are recited often to a traditional melody before the menorah is lit, and traditional songs are sung afterward. A menorah is lit in every household, or even by each individual within the household, and placed in a doorway or window. The menorah is also lit in synagogues and other public places. In recent years, thousands of jumbo menorahs have cropped up in front of city halls and legislative buildings, and in malls and parks all over the world. We recite the special Hallel prayer daily, and add, don't get mad at me, you guys, Baal al Hanisam in our daily in the daily prayers. And in the let me see, because it's starting to move on me here. And in the grace after meals. To offer praise and thanksgiving to God for delivering the strong into the lands of the weak, the many into the lands of the few, the wicked into the hands of the righteous. Since the Hanukkah miracle involved oil, it is customary to eat foods in fried oil. The Eastern European classic is the potato latke, garnished with applesauce or sour cream, and the reigning Israel favorite is the jelly-filled donut. On Hanukkah, it's customary to play with a dreidel, a four-sided spinning top, bearing the Hebrew letters Nun, Gimel, Hai, and Shin, an acronym I hope I did that right. A great miracle happened. A great miracle happened there. 
The game is usually played for a pot of coins, nuts, or other stuff, which is won or lost, based on which letter the dryer lands on when it's spun. In today's consumer-driven society, people tend to place great importance on giving Hanukkah gifts. However, the tradition is actually to give Hanukkah guilt, gifts of money to children. In addition to rewarding positive behavior and devotion to Torah study, the cash gifts give the children the opportunity to give charity. This has also spawned the phenomenon of foil-covered chocolate gilt. I want to show you guys something. I got this from my niece. I wasn't sure what it was until I read this today. And it's right here. And you can see there's a menorah on it. So this is what they're talking about. Foil-covered chocolate gilt. See that? So I got a little bag of this from my niece and my sister. I got a bunch of these sitting here. So that's what that means. I wasn't sure what it meant. I just thought, whoopee, I got gold coins, right? But that's what it is. Foil chocolate gills. Different sizes. Now I lost where I was at. Give me a second here. There we go. So that, guys, is the story of Annika. So it's kind of interesting. Like I said, I like to look at different religions. And without making people mad, in my mind, because that's my mind, my mind is my mind. <laughs> I, I have an odd mind. And when you look at it, Catholic religion, we light our candles every Sunday for, yeah, for the Advent. So we do a similar thing, except ours means something different. But we light our Advent candles every Sunday until you know, leading up to Christmas. So there you have that. Now we're going to talk about Kwanzaa. Something, you know, people don't talk about very often is Kwanzaa. And I, again, as a, as a newspaper uh, editor for my college paper, I had the opportunity to attend a Kwanzaa event. So let's go ahead and do that. And uh, this came, this information, um, wow, where's, oh, I should do it on my phone. This information came from Wikipedia. So that's where I'm getting it from. So we'll talk about Kwanzaa a little bit. Because it does happen on December 26th. So there you go, it's on Wikipedia. So let me go up here and we'll start reading about Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa is an annual celebration of African-American culture from December 26th to January 1st, culminating in a communal feast called Karamu, usually on the sixth day. It was created by activist Malana Karenga based on African harvest festival traditions from various parts of West and South Africa. Kwanzaa was first celebrated in 1966. Okay, so we're going to do this. American, here's the history here. Malana Karenga created Kwanzaa in 66 during the aftermath of the Watts riots as a specifically African-American holiday. Karenga said his goal was to give blacks an alternative to the existing holiday of Christmas and give blacks an opportunity to celebrate themselves and their history rather than simply imitate the practice of the dominant society. For Karenga, a major figure in the black power movement in the 60s and 70s, the creation of such holidays also underscored the essential premise that you must have cultural revolution before the violent revolution. The cultural revolution gives identity, purpose, and direction. According to Karenga, the name Kwanzaa derives from the Swahili phrase Matunda Ikwanza, meaning first fruits. 
First Fruits Festivals exist in South Africa, celebrated in December and January with the Southern Solstice. And Karenga was partly inspired by an account he read of the Zulu festival, Unkohose Wokwishwama. I tried, okay? <laughs> it was decided it was decided to spell the holiday's name with an additional A so that it would have a symbolic have symbolic letters. During the early years of Kwanzaa, Karenga said it was meant to be an alternative to Christmas. He believed Jesus was psychotic. Christianity was, was a white religion that black people should shun. As Kwanzaa gained mainstream adherence, Karenga altered his position so practicing Christians would not be alienated, stating that the 1977 book Kwanzaa, a celebration of family, community, and culture, that Kwanzaa was not created to give people an alternative to their own religion or religious holidays. Many African Americans who celebrate Kwanzaa do so in, additional, in addition to, to observing Christmas. And after its initial creation in California, Kwanzaa spread across the United States. So let me see here as I go on. Kwanzaa celebrates what its founder called the seven principles of Kwanzaa or Nguzo Saba, the seven principles of African heritage. They were developed in 1965, a year before Kwanzaa itself. These seven principles are all Swahili words and together comprise the, 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 the Kawada or common philosophy. Each of the seven days of Kwanzaa is dedicated to one of the principles as follows. Unity, to strive for, maintain, unity and family community. Self-determination, to define and name ourselves as well as to create and speak for ourselves. Collective work and responsibility, to build and maintain our community together and make our brothers' and sisters' problems our problems and solve them together. Cooperative economics, to build and maintain our own stores, shops, and other businesses and to profit from them together. Purpose, which is Nia. I didn't say the African words because I don't want to screw them up. To make our collective vocation the building and developing of our community in order to restore our people to the traditional greatness. Kumba, which is creativity to do always as much as we can in the way we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than we inherited it. Imani, which is faith, to believe with all our hearts in our people, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and victory of struggle. All right? So they use a set of candles similar to the menorah, and uh, it includes a mat on which other symbols are placed, a canara candle holder for seven candlesticks, Mushera Saab, Saba, which is seven candles. Mishumai, I'm trying this. M-I-S-H-U-M-A-A, Saba. Seven candles. Mazeo, which is crops. Mahindi, which is corn. To represent the children celebrating, and corn may be part of the holiday meal. Ekikombe Cha Umoha, Unity Cup, commemorating, commemorating and giving Shukrani thanks to African ancestors. Ziwadi, which is gifts. Supplemental representatives include the Ngozo Sabi poster, the black, red, and green bandera, which is the flag, and African books and artworks, all to represent values and concepts reflected, reflective of African culture and contribution to community building and reinforcement. Families celebrating Kwanzaa decorate their households with objects of art, colorful African cloths, such, such as a kente, especially the wearing of captains by women and fresh fruits that represent African idealism. 
It is customary to include children in Kwanzaa ceremonies and to give respect and gratitude to ancestors. Libations are shared generally with a common chalice. Kikombe chai imoha passed around to all celebrants. Non-African Americans also celebrate Kwanzaa. Joyous Kwanzaa may be used as a greeting during the holiday. A Kwanzaa ceremony may include drumming and musical selections, libations, a reading of the African Pledge and the Principles of Blackness, reflection on the Pan-African Colors, a discussion of the African Principle of, of the Day, or a chapter in African History, a candle-lighting ritual, artist performing, artistic performance, and finally a feast of faith. The greeting for each day of Kwanzaa is Harabe Gani, I think is where that was pronounced, which is Swahili for how are you? I hope this is correct. At first, observers of Kwanzaa avoided the mixing of the holiday, its symbols, values, and practice with other holidays, as doing so would violate the principle of self-determination and thus violate the integrity of the holiday, which is partially intended as a reclamation of important African values. Today, some African-American families celebrate Kwanzaa along with Christmas and New Year's. Cultural exhibitions include the Spirit of Kwanzaa, an annual celebration held at the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts, featuring interpretive dance, African dance, song, and poetry. Other countries that celebrate Kwanzaa include Great Britain, Jamaica, France, Canada, and Brazil. In Canada, it's celebrated in provinces including Saskatchewan and Ontario. Kwanzaa Week was first declared in Toronto in 2018. There are local chapters that emerged in, in the 2010s in provinces like British Columbia, where there are much smaller groups. Okay, well, that was from Wikipedia about Kwanzaa, so I just wanted to kind of teach everybody about something different this year, you know, because not you know, not everybody celebrates Christmas or celebrates all the same way, so it's kind of nice to have that balance. And I also had Turkish friends for years that um, celebrated Christmas like, on January 15th, or, you know, January 3rd, first week or so of January, because I remember being with them, and that's when they would open their gifts and do stuff. So, I mean, there's traditions everywhere, all over the world. I mean, you could go for months and months and months and talk about stuff. I mean, not every place celebrates the same. But I just want to cover some stuff today, you know, and some kind of like add some extra in info. And I hope I, and again, I hope I don't alienate anybody with any of this info. Okay, it's just something I felt I wanted to do. Um, we're going to close with a traditional Christmas thing. And, you know, we've been talking about Santa. We've been talking about, you know, the cats and all that stuff. And let me go find it. There we go. But uh, I want everybody to think about this. And, and you know, tonight when you, you know, people that already have, you know, it's Christmas Day in, in, in these other countries. But in the United States and Canada, you know, where it's still Christmas Eve. Just think about that. You know, it's about family. It's, it's about your beliefs. You know, it's about... Excuse my stomach. I have issues. Um, it's about it's about spending time with your family. It's, it's, it's about reflecting. Solstice. Solstice is about reflecting. When you go through, you, know, you go through this period of solstice, it's another time to reflect this time of year. And I think, I think it's like that because this is the darkest... Part, you know, this, the, 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 sun, the sun doesn't come out as long this time of year. And I think that's why people would go in there in the darkness and, and reflect by the fireside. 
and reflect on stuff. And that's what it should be. That's why the new year. We get to the new year. And what do we do? New year's resolutions so that we can start anew. You know, we start our path. It's like it's like having a year, yearly business plan to start our path every year. You know, when we set up our New Year's resolutions. So it's a reflective time. And I know solstice is part of the reflective time. You know, there's people that celebrate solstice too. Like I said, I could have gone on and on and done a four or five hour show on all the different celebrations. But I wanted to pick just a few today to share with you guys. You know, to give you a little insight as to what else is going on this time of year. Right? So, my last piece today, and you guys are probably thinking, thank God I can go back to my holiday. But my last piece today, um, of course, is the night before Christmas. It's been around for years. I have this book um, myself. I have it on my ta- my tablet. Just like I have the Polar Express on my tablet. If you're but, uh, you know, it's red. This, 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 this has to be one of the most red pieces ever in the history. Because this thing has been read year after year after year by families. And sometimes, depending on your family, there's a certain person that's designated to read this thing. And then it's an honor for whoever gets to read it next. You know, like, oh, no, I'm done reading it here. It's your turn. Like you see in the movies. Yes, son, it's your turn to read it. Christmas Vacation, remember uh, when Chevy Chase got to finally read, you know, Clark Griswold finally got to read the night before Christmas. And, of course, the big staff had tears coming down his cheeks because he actually got to read it. You know, it's like taking over the family. So, I mean, this this has gone on for years. Interesting story I can tell you and share with you about my father. My father loved Christmas. And, you know, he was the one that was always decorating the tree and he, he would... He, he, he would wrap um, garland around his body and walk around the house. That's how he was, you know, just to walk around. And, and you know, he had the Santa Claus face because he smoked cigars. And I still I actually found it. And I, I, and I have it. And I'll have to put it up one year. And he would put it right on our, over our fireplace. And because he smoked cigars, of course, Santa had to have a cigar. So to this day, there is a partially small, you know, almost to the nub, cigar that my dad shoved into Santa's face, Santa's lips. And so when you see this thing, there's, there's my dad's cigar, because that's how my dad's personality was. And so the story goes, is I must have been, and I can't say foul language on the air, obviously. I must have been all of about one or two years old, I think. And my father <clears throat> went out in the backyard and decided to play Santa Claus. And we've always had dogs right on the backyard so what do dogs do in backyards they do their business so he's out there i think it was the dark and he was out in the dark and he um walking around pounding making noises the ho 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 and sleigh bells and all that and then i hear him you hear him go ho 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 s-o-b that's all i'm gonna say about that and i looked at my mother and my mother was just beside herself and as it turned out when he came in and this is what i found out later in life he came in (laughs) when he had been walking across the yard of course he stepped in a pile which is what made him say that but the story is and i don't remember exactly doing this but the story is we would always go to one of my aunts on christmas eve for christmas eve you know get together and I was running around to all my cousins, to all my uncles and aunts, telling them that Santa Claus came to my house and what Santa had said. 
And of course, their their eyebrows went up and all this. But that's what my mother said. She was really mortified. She was chasing me around these around these get-togethers because I was running around saying, "Oh my God, Santa! You know, oh my, Santa came! Santa came! You know what he said?" And I would repeat it verbatim to my aunts, my poor mother. But uh, that's life in my that was life at my house. <laughs> I feel sorry for my mother. Anyway, um. Tomorrow, I'll be here at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, usual time. I'll be reading from the, um, the Twisted Christmas book <laughs> by Sylvia Schultz. And I got I think I've got tomorrow and then New Year's Day will be the last read on that book, the way it's, the way it's laying out. Or Thursday, because I may have to read it Thursday. But I will definitely be reading that book by Sylvia Schultz. And uh, I'll also, my guest Monday, see if I can get this gal's name pronounced right, Mandy B- B- Mandy Benovelid. You know Valid. And she deals in funerals and stuff. And we're going to be talking about, excuse me while I lean back. We're going to be talking about the high cost of funerals and the different and different alternatives. Like people, you know, being buried under a tree or shot into space and things like that. So we're going to be discussing that Monday. And that'll be 6.30 p.m. Pacific. She'll be on with us. So uh, that's the upcoming schedule. Now, you know, tomorrow, 6.30 p.m., of course, I'll be here to um, be with you guys and read that book. In the meantime, with Santa getting closer, let's find out where Santa's at before we close off here. So let's see. Let's see where Santa is, gang. Let's find him. Norad's tracking him, obviously. I wish that I had this stuff when I was a kid. That, that would have been fun, you know, like. Put it up on the big screen TV so I could track him. Ah, so it says he's just last left Chile and he's headed for Uruguay. Cool. And if you look at him, let's see if I could get in here for you. Get up to the camera. Let's see if I can do this without screwing up the computer, right? If you look, maybe I can't get him up here. You can't see him. The sled is. Spewing out presence as he goes. See that? If you can see him a little bit there, camera's not quite picking him up. Let's see. Hang on a second. Let me turn my spot off here. See if I get a better view for you guys. Yeah, there he is. Just a little better. See, there he is. There's a, a tiny reindeer on its way to Uruguay. There you go. Get my spot back on. Okay. Anyway, so we are going to read the night before Christmas. I'm going to read. I say we. It's always a wee thing with me. I don't know why. It's a habit from him, from being with my mom. We're going to read The Night Before Christmas and um, wrap this thing up for this year. And I thank all of you for coming and listening. And I don't know if my views on religion were too out there. I don't, you know, it's not my goal. I don't want to offend anybody. But it's just how I am. I'm, I'm a, I, guess, I guess you can call me a naturalist because that's how I feel. I've, I grew up going, you know, fishing by the ocean and, and, and hiking and doing all this stuff. So I tend to be more of a naturalist and feel that, you know, stuff's all around me and whatnot. So I hope I didn't offend anybody saying anything or anything like that, because that was not my intention today. I want to bring us into the holidays in, in a real nice way. And I hope I did that. So without further ado, let's get that going here. The night before Christmas. So it was the night before Christmas. Went all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, and hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. 
The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below, when what to my aunt wondering I should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop, the coursers they flew, with the sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my hand and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and, his, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of pipe he held tight as teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk, and laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod of the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his, th his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. And that's what I have to say to you guys. Happy Christmas. Happy Holidays. And I hope that the new year brings you happiness. And I hope I hope the new year brings everybody happiness in 2023. I really do. Because we've had a few years of, of just of people. So hopefully it brings everybody happiness. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy Holidays to everyone. No matter how you celebrate. And remember, even if you're alone, there's always something to think about to help you celebrate, to make you happy. Think about the good times. If you've lost family members this year, <laughs> I hate my stomach. If you've lost family members this year, think about the good times you had with them. 
because those are the memories. That's why we have memories. And then you won't feel so alone. All right, guys. I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great holiday. And uh, don't overeat and stuff if you're going to be eating, okay? Because where the food's off the good. In fact, I'm making short ribs tonight. So, yum, yum, yum. But have a good one, you guys. See ya.